I'm Cathy Madavan and welcome to the Heart of Communication podcast. I'm here as usual with Rob Parsons and it is fantastic to be able to look at different areas of public speaking in each podcast and every episode we're looking at a different aspect of presenting skills, communication skills, public speaking, preaching and also looking at some of the great content in Rob's book, The Heart of Communication. And today's topic is a really good one, Rob, isn't it? We're thinking about setting the atmosphere. Mm. Now, as a speaker, we can't necessarily control everything that we walk into, every setting that we go and speak into, but we can control the controllables. We can do something. We have some responsibility, don't we? We do. Tell me why setting the atmosphere is so important. Someone once said, and it's a strange uh, phrase, I think, that, that a speaker and an audience almost have a contract together. It's, it's an unusual setting. You're, you're on the podium or behind the lectern. They're set there listening. But in, in some senses, you become one. You're, you're entering to this together. And then the atmosphere around that is very, very important. And that atmosphere will decide largely how easy it is for them to receive what you say, how deep it will go, how it will move them, how it will affect their lives after they've left the auditorium or the church or whatever. The, 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 the atmosphere of the room is, is, is very, very important. And what somebody once said to me years ago, Rob, you are to some extent, as the public speaker, the keeper of that atmosphere, and you have to look after it. That's a, it's a great image. It's almost, I think, like you're the conductor of an orchestra when you're, yeah. when you're speaking. And it's something I don't think we talk enough about. Just even the shape of the room, the size of the room, how easy or hard it's been for people to get in and out, what the seats are like. There is so There are so many things that can shape... Far before you ever actually start speaking from behind a microphone, that atmosphere is is critical, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And the tiniest things can affect it. I mean, you just mentioned the seat in a, a moment ago. When I was a kid, I didn't uh, have a, a church back on my parents didn't go to church, but they sent me this little gospel hall on the corner of my street. And Miss Williams was a Sunday school teacher. And there were 12 kids in our class, and she always used to slip out about five minutes before. We all used to be in this kind of a big church, and we'd slip out to our class, but she'd always go out five minutes before. And when we got there, there'd always be exactly the right amount of chairs there, always in a horseshoe with hers in the middle. And I realized that used to adjust the chairs for the number of kids in the class. So when chickenpox nearly wiped out the whole of our school, only five of us turned up, there were five chairs. Miss Williams understood the atmosphere. And you know what? If you're in a 500-seater auditorium and only 100 people turn up, it's very hard to have a close atmosphere. You'll want to talk to the organizers. You'll want to get rid of some of those seats. You'll want to organize them in a certain way. You might want to bring the lectern down from the stage uh, to the floor. Um, there's a million things you can do to create intimacy. And um, that's really important. And that can be uncomfortable, can't it? I know when I've turned up to venues and you look at perhaps where the stage is set up or for me, for example, the lectern is a big thing because yeah. I'm very short. And lecterns aren't often made for people who are five foot one <laughs> tall. And I can end up with something that looks like the Great Wall of China in front of me. And I think there's absolutely no chance of me creating an atmosphere of intimacy here because they can't even see me. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I look like a hobbit. It's not helpful. So I will talk to them about having a music. I even keep a music music stand in my car yeah. just in case they don't have one because it's 
It's me taking responsibility for it, but those can be uncomfortable conversations. Sometimes if you turn up and make those suggestions, people look at you like you're crazy. Yeah. But actually, you kind of know what a difference it makes. But you know, Kathy, and this is really, really important. People will say, oh, you are kind of pompous or you're a diva. And you, but you want people to have the best experience. And, and, and if, if carrying a music stand, and I do the same, some, sometimes uh, uh, we, we carry a lectern. That's the right height for us. With us, that will help. Uh, center aisles I go to places and they have a big aisle down the center why would you do that this is the prime space for you to speak to it's why cinemas and theaters don't have center aisles uh, and if they're loose chairs the first thing I do when I get to an auditorium and if I'm speaking in the evening I try to get there two or three o'clock in the afternoon is see if I can get them to get rid of that aisle perhaps put the chairs in a horseshoe to create that atmosphere I think there's been research done on that, actually, that the, the prime place where people actually absorb the most information is front centre. And the further back and to the sides you get, when they did kind of surveys of what people had remembered from a presentation at the end, you could actually almost predict where they were. Well, it's not surprising, is it? It, 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 we we offer people the incentive of chocolates. We put chocolates on the front row. That's a great incentive. I'm up if for you, that. Yeah. No, you can't go now. You have to finish the podcast. <laughs> we we want that front row filled. We want to get rid of that center aisle. We don't want a thousand chairs if only two hundred people turn up. We want to begin getting that that great atmosphere. So what we're talking about here, really, then, is this understanding that you not only have to set the atmosphere. But you have to think about the things that could potentially disrupt yeah. the atmosphere. I think um, when I did some study on communications models, there was a, a communication model by Shannon and Weaver who were Bell telephone engineers back in the days where you would plug in yeah. the kind of telephone, you know, blobs at the end to get the connection. Mm. And they were looking at things that could cause distortion or interference along the telephone line and how they could like circumvent that so they could minimize any chance of disruption. And I love that idea mm. because I think part of my job when I get to a venue and I talk to people is about proactively before the event starts, thinking about potential disruptors, mm. things that could actually kind of distort the communication and disrupt the atmosphere. There's lots of things that can do that, aren't there? And one of them often is technology. I think that's one of the things for me that can be a major disruptive microphone. Is that your experience as well? Yeah, you have to. You have to check those things. Lots of things will happen uh, in a presentation that you have no control over. But over some stuff, you do have you do have a control. For example, when when I go to to a venue, I always like to do a proper sound check. Um, people will say, "Oh, the mics are fine, Rob. We've tested them this afternoon." Well, you may have tested them, but your voice is not my voice. And I don't just stand up there and bang the end of the microphone and go, "Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. I normally have a piece of poetry essay or a little bit of prose, just enough to get the sound engineer enough time to listen to my voice. If you come and hear me speak at, a, 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 at an, a, an event and you get there about half past six, 7.30 start, you'll hear me on the stage going, I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or Valen Hills. And I hope we have some of our team or some volunteers walking around various parts of the auditorium and say, is the sound good here? Is the sound there? And you know the scary thing about all this, Kathy, is you turn up to a venue and they've done this a hundred times and they're saying, why do we need to change this? Why do we need to check this for you? 
but often they've settled for a standard that's a, a bit too low. Well, and sometimes if you don't have professional sound engineers, you know, and again, you don't want to, you certainly don't want to interfere or make people, you know, feel bad in any way. But I'll always check the the microphone batteries. <laughs> you know, if you're using a radio mic that's got batteries and nine out of 10 times, I'll look at it and see the batteries are low. And the sound person will say to me, oh, it'll be fine. It'll last. And I'll look them in the eye and go, would you just do me a favor and change these batteries for me? So many times I've been halfway through and the batteries failed, or even if it hasn't I've had that little uncertainty in my mind of how long will these batteries last and I just want to eliminate that distraction even if the distraction is my in my own mind no absolutely you you want it to be as good as it possibly as it possibly can be but there are other distractions too aren't there so these days I think there's lots of distractions in in an audience you know people coming and going and blooming phones phone ringtones but uh, have you seen any changes in that over the years or well in the old days if somebody walked out of your uh, event or your speaking engagement it was because you'd offended them these days people walk out all the time and it's because their mobile phones suddenly vibrate or they get a text message or something else, or that phone call they just simply can't uh, can't uh, resist you know the fascinating thing kathy is somebody will travel 500 miles to hear you speak they will sell their grandmother's inheritance to buy the ticket <laughs> and yet they'll be in that audience and someone will stand up to go to the toilet and they'll turn and look at that person as though they've never seen anybody do this in their lives my tip Somebody gave me years ago, to me, and, and I would give that tip to public speakers, don't you follow them with your eyes. You look anywhere else rather than following that person. If you follow them with your eyes, the audience will. And it's, it's quite difficult to do that, isn't it? When there are things that happen, when, when phones go off and they keep going or something, is there a point at which where you just, you know, you just have to say, this is happening and it's, it's what's going on? Or do you just tend to style it out? I think you just, I, generally, I think you have to get on with it. It doesn't help, I think, to make silly comments or sarcastic comments. Right. I mean, and there have been some pretty uh, dramatic, I mean, there was an occasion recently in the West End where an actor actually reached down, grabbed somebody's mobile phone off them and threw it off stage. So that's, that's pretty extreme. But I think we've got the right to say at the beginning of an event or the host has, look, if you've got a mobile phone, you might like to switch it off or at least put it on silent. I, I don't think that's, uh, that's too much to ask. So thinking about this whole idea of setting the atmosphere then and really trying to keep the atmosphere and maintain it, I think one of the things that we do have a little bit of control over as speakers is the issue of around PowerPoints and slides and visuals because mm. they can be a great asset and they can be a great help, but sometimes they can actually have a price attached to them as well, can't they? You pay a price for people kind of connecting with PowerPoint. How, how would you use them? No, you're right, you're right Cathy. In a previous uh, uh, podcast, we talked about the importance of keeping our eyes on the audience. But it's also important that they keep their eyes on us. And every time we use a PowerPoint, we don't do that. We take their eyes off us and onto something else, and we better be sure it's a price worth paying. And there, there's some speakers, and we, we've come across them down the years, they're just brilliant at it. The, their, their talk and the PowerPoint become a seamless whole. But we've all seen many public speakers mangle a perfectly good talk with just too much 
PowerPoint. Sometimes those PowerPoints are, are, are too text-heavy. I've heard speakers say something like this. Uh, I'm going to put a, a, a PowerPoint up now with quite a long quote on it. You probably can't read this at the back. Why would you do that? Why would you say to a whole section of the audience, I care about you so little you can't even read the PowerPoint uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put up? It's often not the, the fault of the guys at the sound desk or whoever else is doing the PowerPoint. We have to give them the best chance possible to make it work. Perhaps get there early in the afternoon or just an hour before, go through the PowerPoint, check it with them. But, but it's fraught with difficulty. And, and in fact, in many business settings now, people are using PowerPoint less and less. Well, I think you're right. And simplicity is really key here, isn't it? And I think increasingly, the more confident you are in what you're saying and creating that connection, the simplicity of your visuals can be really helpful. I've actually el eliminated all of the videos and unnecessary bits and pieces because often we're not working with professional sound engineers, particularly if it's in voluntary organisations or community groups or churches. Mm. And with the best will in the world, you know, computers can be enormously temperamental and you can end up having a conversation more with the person on the sound desk about, yeah. you know, oh gosh, the video's coming up. Oh, it's not coming up. Oh, that's awkward. And that whole atmosphere that you were trying to set is broken. And it might not be anybody's fault. It might just be a glitch in the system. But you've got to try and create as much potential as, as potential as possible for keeping that atmosphere going somehow, haven't you? And, you know, as public speakers, I think we need to take some responsibility for this. We talked a moment ago about sound. Well, if we get there early and check the mic, if we perhaps ask for new batteries, if it's a radio mic, if we do a proper sound check, if we get there early enough to go through the PowerPoint with, with a man or woman on the, on the sound desk, and especially if they're, they're volunteers, we give ourselves and them every chance to, uh, to succeed. And it is asking those questions that we've talked about in, in, I think, every episode, just asking questions, asking in advance the format of the PowerPoint. That's a big one. Can't tell you how many times I've turned up somewhere and it's like, oh, actually, we use widescreen here. And yeah. I've sent four by three kind of slides yeah. through. And just asking those questions so that as far as possible, when you get there, you can focus on the thing that's most important, which is connecting with people in a way that creates as little distraction as possible. No, absolutely. So then, if in each episode we're thinking about a speaker win and a speaker fail, so something that we've learned, a little nugget from something that's gone well and then something that maybe hasn't gone so well, uh, that hopefully people can learn from, from some of our vulnerability here, I thought I'd start with a little speaker fail on this setting the atmosphere thing. And it happened just this week. I was speaking at an event and I knew at the end I wanted to create a little bit of atmosphere. So I'd asked a pianist who was there to come up and just create a bit of musical atmosphere as I I did a reflection at the end. I told him to come up when I read out the quote. What I accidentally didn't do was tell him there were two quotes. So I was only 10 minutes into my presentation where I put up my first quote and the pianist was striding down the auditorium, stormed onto the stage behind me and then had to stand as still as a statue for the next 17 minutes while I finished my talk. And I had to finish the rest of my talk knowing he was stood right behind me and that everyone was looking at him and wondering how I was going to respond just the atmosphere had changed. Of course. That connection had changed. What did I learn from that? 
be more specific. Tell them there are two quotes and that the second quote will come 30 minutes in. <laughs> so embarrassing. It's just one of those things you think, I surely should have got that done better, but never mind. How did you deal with it? How did it pan out in the end? Well, I actually decided I had to name the elephant in the room on that okay. occasion. And I okay. had to say, in fact, I made a joke and said, is this what you do in this area is when you've had enough is send the pianist up, <laughs> you know, and, and just said to him, you can sit down or you can stay there, but I've still got time to go. And then at the end, I said, oh, now my final quote, um, let's bring up the pianist. Oh, no, wait, he's already there. Um, so it was uh, it was disrupting, but I almost just had to work with it and make it make fun with it, really. So that uh, so I, maybe you've got an, a better experience of no. somewhere there's a win. Well, it's, we again, it's on the atmosphere. Okay. And I think it's only just a, a win. Well, well, mine happened a couple of years ago, uh, Kathy. I was speaking in quite a large uh, uh, venue, and I'd only just started speaking where a guy in the front row shouted out, rubbish! <laughs> and I thought that was a, a, quite an early evaluation of my talk, <laughs> to be honest, but I kept going, and then about 10 minutes, he yelled again, rubbish, and he kept doing this. And then suddenly I realized that um, this, this gentleman had some, uh, some mental challenges. In fact, his carer who was with him began kind of signing to me that she was trying to calm him down a little and I decided I would talk about it to the, to the audience. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is fine with me. Don't, don't get concerned. Uh, we'll, we'll get through this together. And it was as if I'd um, sort of kind of pricked that bubble of stress. And a collective sigh went around the audience. And we were fine. And the incredible thing, Kathy, is that atmosphere came back within moments. And we were okay. They felt if it was okay with me, it was okay uh, with uh, them. But all these things, sound and all that stuff, can be quite a thing with atmosphere. In our church some years ago, it's an absolutely true story, um, uh, one of the church leaders uh, in an annual general church meeting said, uh, can you all hear me? And a rather cantankerous man at the back said, yes, but I'm happy to swap with somebody who can't. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's great when you get that kind of rapport with people, isn't it? Heckling. We ought to do another whole, whole episode on heckling. That's fantastic. Well, I think it's so true that as speakers, when we turn up to do what we do, because we care about what we do, we want to connect with people, that it's not just about delivering some words that we prepared. It's about thinking about the atmosphere that we're speaking into and the context mm. where we are. And So, yes, it matters to think about doors opening and closing and microphones and PowerPoints, but not because, you know, we want to give ourselves stress, but because we want to create the best possible opportunity for words and communication to change lives. That's Absolutely. why we do what we do. Do. So thank you so much. Well, we could do another 10 episodes on distractions and I'd love to actually hear from people, you know, for us to hear from folks about their experiences in this too. But for now, thank you so much for tuning in and we will be back, I'm sure, with another episode soon looking at other parts of what it means to understand the heart of communication. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us and I really hope that you found that helpful. At Care for the Family, we seek to come alongside families to offer support and encouragement in the ordinary and the extraordinary seasons of family life. We provide support for marriages, for couple relationships, for parents, single parents, for those caring for children with additional needs, for those who have been bereaved, particularly those uh, who have lost a partner early in life or those who are grieving after the death of a child. In all kinds of different ways, we come alongside families and we say, this is not just you.
At Care for the Family, we know that every family faces challenges. Every family needs encouragement. So check out our website and see if there are some resources there that will help you in your particular season of family life. And if you see something and just at the moment you can't afford it, then just drop us a line and we would be delighted to send you that resource free of charge. And we need your support uh, to help us to continue to do what we do. So would you be able to send us a gift? Even a small amount would be an incredible encouragement to us as together we seek to strengthen family life in our nation. You simply go to cff.org uk forward slash give. I am so grateful to you. Thank you so much and thank you for joining us.